This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, guys, we're back for another episode with the MVM Show. Guys, I appreciate you joining me. I'm here today with my co-host, Thomas. How's it going, guys? And we got special guests that you guys, I know for a fact, are going to love. Like, I just met uh, Ryan a while back through kind of social media, and then we talked on the phone for, man, I don't know, probably an hour today. Didn't mean to take him for that long, but we have (laughs) Ryan Graves on the podcast with us today. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Uh, glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Yes, Ryan is, if you check out his Instagram, which is R-K-E Graves, G-R-A-V-E-S, um, he is an avid waterfowler, and he's a collector, historian, and consultant for vintage waterfowling artifacts. I mean, he's got some awesome stuff. Like he says on his Instagram, he specializes in pre-1950 high-end duck calls out of Kentucky. He lives there, and duck hunts is passionate as you can tell and i'm not gonna do all the talking for him but guys if you can just at the beginning like you know we always do give him a follow on instagram at rke graves and um, follow him you won't regret i promise he has epic awesome pictures that he is posting all the time i love it i just stumbled upon his stuff about five weeks ago and i know every one of you guys that listen to the show will love it just a reminder, guys, before we dig into this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Mid Valley Mercenaries, Facebook, and also, if you want, you like watching YouTube videos, go check us out on YouTube at Mid Valley Mercenaries. So we're going to get right into this. Ryan, again, thank you for being on the show today. Why don't you uh, tell the audience here just a little bit about yourself and how you got started into duck hunting? Gotcha. Um, yeah, glad to be here. Um Duck hunting for me is, um, you know, unlike a lot of people, you know, I, I, I don't come from a waterfowling family. Um, I come from a waterfowling rich area. I was um, born and raised in Marion, Illinois, which is um, their own crab orchard refuge, which is was always synonymous for being the, the king of the goose hunting capital of the world, which is um, pretty much dried up. 
you know, kind of the goose wise, you know, they don't make it that down far south anymore. But um, I got going when I was probably, I think I went on my first time when I was 13 or 14 and um, um, started taking it serious. You know, started taking it serious when I was 15, you know, then 16, you know, we got our driver's license. Um, you know, a buddy's dad had taken us a few times and, you know, and his family. Then, you know, we got 16. You're like, you know, all right, well, you know, we'll sort of go into some of these little public areas and, and all that. And, um, man, I'll tell you, it's just, it's, it's been hammered down ever since. <laughs> um, That's what I like to hear. Are you, now you said you don't, this is your life, right? I mean, you are, a, it is like, it, um, it truly is. Like say, I mean, you know, outside of, you know, God and family and, and, you know, and the other things in life that are important. I mean, duck hunting is it for me. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't bass fish, I don't turkey hunt, I don't deer hunt. Um, I don't play golf, you know, you know, I'm, um, you know, I enjoy watching dirt track racing and sprint cars and late models and stuff like that. But as far as, you know, hobbies go, I mean, duck hunting is it, you know, I, you know, I go out of this, I, I go out of, I guess like I'm trying to kill a snake, you know, I don't do anything half, you know, I, you know, then the off seasons I spend, um, you know, collecting and chasing and hunting old duck calls, decoys and, and studying the history of the sport. So like I say it's a, it's a 365 day a year deal for me. Mm-hmm. It's a passion. So how long have you really been, uh, you know, collecting, searching for, you know, decoys calls uh, yeah you know, i mean I've, I've, collectibles is it since the beginning or, or really recently? since the beginning really? Yeah, really since the beginning you know I, i've always been a collector of you know from the time i was a kid you know i was always collecting stuff and um you know I, i'd say i probably got my first you know old duck call i, I remember i used to go to the um, flea market in southern illinois at the Dublin fairgrounds and buy old baseball cards and stuff and i've always just been interested in the history of everything you know like back when i was a kid you know collecting baseball cards you know i didn't collect like the new tops and all that come out you know i saved my money and i went and bought mickey mantles and you know i've just always been into the old stuff and i go to the flea markets and i remember finding some old duck calls and um then when i was in high school um i guess it had probably been like 94 95 probably 95 a girlfriend's um parents bought me the Illinois, the book on Illinois duck calls and, um, just been fascinated with them ever since, you know, um, I haven't always been able to collect them to the extent that I do now. I mean, it's a, you know, vintage duck calls are, are very valuable. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I, I'd pick up a few here and there then, you know, then in college, you know, I had a decent little collection then, you know, I'd sell it for beer money. <laughs> you know, then start all over. But you know, once I got out of college, I graduated in like 2001, and um, you know, it's just kind of got back into it, and it's just progressively, just it's just you know, it's just it's just what I do. Absolutely. You know? So I have two questions after that. Hopefully, you don't mind me asking. Oh, um, not at all. So my first question is, what has been you know, you're going to a flea market or online or whatever. What was the best deal that you ever found where somebody either didn't know what they had or they just wanted to get rid of it or whatever the reason was? And my next question is, what is a collectible that you have that's the most valuable or worth the most, you know? Gotcha. 
Yeah, um, um, you know, on the first question, you know, it was back in, you know, I really got into, um, you know, I remember back in college, it had been probably like 98, 99, you know, 2000, you know, that was, um, you know, I started, I started searching eBay for stuff. And that was, you know, back before, um, you know, back then it was so easy to find stuff on there because, you know, people didn't have smartphones, you know, eBay wasn't, you know, they, it wasn't at the touch of a button. Um, you know, so, you know, a lot of the stuff that I found, you know, I found off that. So, but my biggest find that I did was back in 2010, um, there was a, there was a vintage call maker in Peoria, East Peoria, Illinois, by the name of Vern Taylor, and I was checking eBay, and I noticed that, you know, you know, Vern Taylor calls at that time. There was maybe there's maybe seven or eight of them known to exist in collections, and um, I what I gathered out of it, like maybe like a pharmacy or something had bought the property of this old of the family home, and the grandson had went up into the basement and was, you know, had found like a a box full of his grandfather's old duck calls and he was putting them on eBay for um, three and four at a time, like in a lot for like 250, 300 bucks. And by the time it was all said and done, I had like 20 of them, Wow. you know, and I mean, I'm, and I was just getting them as fast as I could. And, um, you know, I gave a couple to friends, kept some and um, sold the rest. And, you know, I, I probably profited over $20,000. Oh deal, my so. word. So basically, they're yeah. they're worth a lot more than two hundred fifty dollars a piece. Oh yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, he was like, there was like, he was selling on like four at a time for like two hundred and fifty. Oh my bucks. goodness. Yeah. So, and I mean, I knew exactly what they were, and I'm just like, you know, I'm just trying to like, I just remember like sitting on my computer, like hitting, you know, the the buy, you know, <laughs> buy then trying now. to go to the net. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, they were. It was the buy it now, then like trying to continuously do that. And I think one other guy was able to get in there and get um, three or four of them. And um, so I did miss out on one. And the bad part is the three or the ones the guy got out of – one of the ones the guy got that I didn't get was probably one of the better ones in there. So, uh, But so I do I'm, know where that duck calls at, and I'll eventually end up with it at some point. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm assuming these are probably all Mallard calls? Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much all Mallard calls. Um is is that just you know, because back then they didn't really make like till calls and stuff like that or what? Yeah, they. I mean, they really didn't. And um, and thing about back then, you know, a lot of times these things were, um, you know, back in like say you know over a hundred years ago, they didn't use duck calls like we use them today. A lot of times they were used as like, you know, kind of like locating devices for like how turkey hunters would, you know, use an owl call. You know, they might go out there and sound and, and you know and blow a little five note series or something and try to just find out, you know, they do this at night, you know, because the market hunters, you know, they go out there at night and, really? and they were just trying to find the ducks. Then, you know, then, then a lot of some of the calls, you know, like the, the, the finally checkered calls and all that, you know, some of these um, call makers, you know, they were, they were guides and, you know, and they would make them as like gifts for the sports that would come in, um, you know, the high dollar, the high rollers that would come in for the weekend and they would kind of take them as like a, a gift of the hunt. So, huh. The call you itself know. would be like a gift. Yeah, be, yeah, I mean, yeah, or I would say more of a souvenir, you know, that gotcha. they would buy, you know, to, to take back and use. But I mean, obviously, that they, you know, they did use them, but they just were not, you know, made to be used like like we like we use duck calls today. 
you know, I mean, obviously they can't perform, you know, they got metal reeds in them, you know, all, all the oldest ones got metal reeds in them, you know, and, and, and you can get quacks and stuff out of them, but I mean, nobody collects them for the way they sound, you know, they collect gotcha. them for the historical, you know, huh. aspect of it, so. Wow, so they, now those calls, they, like you said, is there any of those older calls that actually sound pretty good and like, you know, how old is yeah, it? Yeah, I mean. What call is it? Um, Just for I mean, an example. I mean, there's so many different makers, you know, like, um, you know, like the roof at Lake Metal Reed, you know, that, you know, a lot of the locals, you know, around that area, they still use them. I don't know if you're familiar with like Cecil Welburn that was out of Calusa, California. I do know that name. Yeah. Yeah. He, like I say, you know, he was a, he was a vintage call maker and, um, um, you know, his calls are kind of like the real foot style and. You know, like I said, there's just a very distinct sound, but they're very, very loud. And like I say, in a lot of the, like I say, in a lot of the, um, a lot of the real foot locals still use them. Um, yeah. But like I said, but you, but you can't, but you know, they don't have the the ability to make the sounds that you know the current calls make. Now, I'm just curious, like Thomas was kind of saying, and, and if you don't want to say it, it's it's fine too, but I mean, like, do you? Well, let's just put it this way so it's not personalized to you. But out, let's just say out there in the world of collecting duck calls, what's the highest, most expensive duck call that you've seen out there so far? And what brand is oh, it? Oh, well, I'd say, um, what are the, no, I'd say that, you know, the, a lot of these calls were made by call makers that weren't exact, you know, you weren't really businessmen. You know, they, they would make them. So there's not really so much of a brand name, you know, um, you know really that. You know, very few of them had like companies, you know, and that's why, and that's why they're so valuable is they're, they're so rare. Um, but you know, the, the one that sold for the most money sold a few years ago at, um, I believe it was like 2000, yeah, it had been 2013 or 2014. It was a JT, um, a JT Becker call from um, Northeast Arkansas and it sold on, um, it sold at auction for $103,500. Oh. So, and you said it was just made in 2000 what? No, it was sold. It was sold in Oh, it was sold. Um, in it was then. sold in yeah, sold in 2013. Wow. And it was how how yeah, old was it? Um, early 1900s. Unbelievable. What, you know, I mean, I said, what I mean, was I, the what was the draw of that versus any other old call? Well, I mean, like, you know, I've got a JT Becker call, but you know, mine's not, you know, worth anything like that but you know evidently at the time you know jt had three granddaughters or three grandkids and he made a um, special call for each one of them they were highly carved um highly checkered you know like each of the panels had like okay. a one of them had like an alligator in it then like the stopper of it had like a snake carved around it so if you just go do a google search you know google jt beckhart b-e-c-k-h um h-r-t you know duck call and it'll, it'll pop up um but like I say, this was um, this popped up at the Saint. Um, I first, I saw it when I first walked in. Um, every April, April there's a sporting collectible show in Saint Charles, Illinois, um, a western suburb of Chicago, and um, an and a elderly lady and her husband walked in with it, you know, to get it appraised. And um, I mean, just everybody saw it about, you know, about fell down because. You know, there's one other one out there that we know where it's at, but there's supposedly three. So, you know, everybody's still on the search for the third one. So, Oh, there was only three made, huh? Yeah, three made like this. You know, Beckhart made several calls, but there was only three of these highly carved and decorative calls. So. Wow. But, you know, like the, the just like a standard checkered Beckhart, like, 
um, like the one I have, you know, I mean, you're looking at a call that's worth them between 10 and $14,000. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So, and, yeah. and so like friends, I mean, if there's, let's say there's three of those ones you're talking about out there for, for it, as much as anybody knows, that could be at the bottom of some pond somewhere in the stick. It, it right? very well could, you know, it, it, I say it very well could, you know, it, it, you know, it might show up on eBay tomorrow, who knows, but, um, but you know, odds are, you know, that, you know, it, there was a, there was a, there was a lot of press about the call when it came out and, um, you know, I've heard that the call is at a, in a small town in Missouri. I don't know that I believe it. Um, I've actually put signs. Um, I've actually put signs in um, storefronts down there and trying to get the call. You know, if anybody's got it to contact me, but um, nobody ever has. So <laughs> that might be like trying to find a needle in the haystack or something, probably, huh? Very well, very well. I say it. Um, you know, more than likely, it'll it'll never surface. But um, be neat if it did. You know, I mean, no kidding. I would, yeah, I mean that was, you know, I would never be able to own it, and you know, and I don't. And the thing about that call too is, you know, it did sell for that. You know, the um, the the man that um, the man that purchased it was a guy by the name of Jay Cucci out of uh, Mount Vernon, Washington, and he is um, he is now deceased. His collection is still together, um, but you know, there was two or three guys bidding on it. So you know, with Without one of the, you know, if another one came up, you know, you never know how an auction's gonna go. You know, it might only go for, you know, fifty or sixty thousand dollars. Wow. But, only. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but, um, but yeah, I mean, duck calls are, you know, vintage duck calls are very valuable. You know, the right. Um, There's a lot of sentimental know, value, I'm sure, to it, right? There is, you know. I mean, if you know, think about it, you know, as a as a duck hunter, you know, and it's never changed, you know, like. You know, I bet your brother or something might, you know, if, if you go to work one day and you can't go, you know, he might ask to borrow your decoys, but I bet he doesn't ask to borrow your duck calls. <laughs> right. You know, it's probably like the most personal, you know, piece of duck hunting equipment that people have. Right. You right. know, I mean, I still, um, you know, I, I still have the, on my lanyard, I still have the first DR85 that I bought in, in um, you know, 94 or 95. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, people are just, it's just a very, and, and the, you know, the thing about waterfowl hunting is it's, it's, you know, since the beginning of time, it's always been a um, high dollar sport. You know, it's always been a gentleman's sport, right. You know, where the, the affluent, you know, participated and, um, you know, with the high dollar clubs and all that. So, you know, and that's, and that's what, that's what makes them so valuable. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the earliest duck calls come out of the, the state of Illinois. So, you know, so a lot of those duck calls bring, you know, a lot of money for the historical value. Right. Then the other, you know, most valuable calls come out of, you know, Arkansas and Tennessee. Just just for the hit, probably because of the history, right, I'm assuming? Yeah, j- just the history. And, and honestly, there just wasn't, like, you know, there was very few if, you know, just maybe a handful of old duck calls that were ever made on the East Coast, you know, because, you know, up in the Northeast, a lot of times they hunted – you know, whether it be, you know, they might have hunted some mallards, but, you know, that was traditionally, uh, you know, they hunted divers. You know, people don't really use many calls for divers. You know, then the Mississippi Flyway, now the state of Illinois is rich in decoy history. And so is like Wisconsin, Minnesota, and, you know, and some in Missouri. But you get down around here, like where I'm at, and, you know, just across the river in Arkansas and Missouri and, um, you know, the southern Illinois area. I mean, there is no decoy makers as far south it's all duck call history 
Well, let me ask so. you this. This just brings curiosity to my mind, just since you're so such, such an avid duck call collector and, and um, decoy, decoys awesome. We'll get into decoys here in a second. But mm-hmm. I'm just curious, what, what calls do you have on your lanyard? Because, I mean, that almost seems like it'd be hard for you to choose if you know so much, yeah. you know? No, like, how do you I do mean, and, and the funny part is about duck calls with me is, like, I'm not eat up with duck calls. I collect duck calls for the historical significance of them, mm-hmm. you know. So when it comes to hunting, you know, on my lanyard, I've got a, um, you know, like I say I've got the first DR85 that I've ever uh, that I bought it was my first duck call. I've got a um, Rich and Tone Mondo, and um, like I said, my good friend Kelly Powers, you know, he has um, Power Call Power Call Company, and um, I have his goose call and um, one of his spec calls. And that's what you're. That's what's always on your lanyard. Yep, that's what's always on my lanyard. Now, so that that's interesting because I I talked to you earlier, and um, off obviously the podcast, but my. I have an RNT Jezebel. Have you ever blown that call? A Jezebel? Or is it? No, not Jezebel. What is that call? I have it right here. I have it. I'm about to look at it. I'm I'm thinking that's that's another brand. What was that brand, Thomas? I'm totally off. Lynch I just, Mob. I Lynch Mob. That's what it was. But I do have the RNT. Um. Oh man, my mind just totally went blank. It's not the Mondo. It's kind of one of their other popular ones. I kind of just blew that short on the barrel air. or Daisy it's Cutter. Short, it's a it's a short barrel. Boy, yeah. I just drew a big time blank. Well, I, I won't edit that out. <laughs> I just kind of blew that one. But anyways, yeah. I have blown the Mondo. I think, and what what's your opinion on on the blowing of calls? Because you could blow a call and make it sound unbelievable, and then I can blow it and sounds, I sound terrible on it. You know, but yeah, then I blow fun. a different, you know what yeah. I mean? What is that? Is it actually your yeah. voice? You know your, you know the sounds from your throat that change such so much. You know it's funny. Um, you say that like, you know, like I can't pick up just any duck call and blow it. You know, for years I just blew the DR85, and I think it's, but you know I modified them. I can't don't you know I kind of blow hard, so I don't, um, you know, couldn't really blow it right out of the box. But you know, and that's what I blew for years, and you know I never did mess with like the single rigs and all that. You know I could do like the the contest style stuff but i i never could get ducky on the bottom like i wanted then the um um like i say then the the then the mondos came out and um you know like and you know and I, i've never been much into fads and all that stuff but you know so a couple of years for there for a couple of years i just you know i just like whatever i just think those are a fad then <laughs> then um you know like i say then i then i got one and it's just it's it's you know it's just got an unbelievable sound to it um you know, like, you know, to me, it's like, I, I, you know, we hunt a lot of traffic, you know, I guess 100% of what we hunt is traffic birds. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, it just, it just hits them harder. You know, they just respond harder to it. Um, I, I love, oh, you're I talking love about the Mondo? Sound. Yeah, I love yeah. that Mondo sound. Just because that is just that fort- sound, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like I say, I'm fortunate when it comes to duck calls, you know, like three of my very, um, very best friends are, you know, John Stevens from Rich and Tone. Kelly mm-hmm. Powers has his power calls. And the, another great friend of mine is Kelly Haydell from Haydell. So I've got um, great, um, great friends when it comes to duck calls. <laughs> Man, you can sit back and relax and do all the shooting, huh? <laughs> I, I was you know sometimes I wish I could be that guy. But when it comes to duck hunting, I mean, I'm definitely not that guy. I've. You know, I'm, 
I don't want to be not really a control freak, but you know, I, I'm, you know, to me, like, you know, I'm at that stage of, um, of duck hunting to where it's all about the, you know, it's all about the, you know, how well everything's done, you know, more so than it is the kill. And like I say, I mean, I'm just, you know, I've, I've got to be in, involved in every aspect of it. You know, I'm just very um, particular in how we hunt. And like I say, and mm-hmm. my buddy Kelly that I hunt with, you know, and our crew that we hunt with, you know, everybody's the same way. You know, we're very, um, um, all very hands-on, you know, not, right. nobody, no, nobody that hunts with us is just a shotgun. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That I can, <laughs> that's a pretty cool group that you, you get to hunt with. I mean, but you know what, whether they were that or not, I'm sure you would still just have the same amount, you know, like you said, they're just, they're friends. That That's what it is. Now, yeah. Oh yeah. It is like saying, and it, it's nice to have the, you know, I hunt with pretty much the same group of guys you know day in and day out yeah mm-hmm. he was telling me thomas that he hunts 50 days a year isn't that terrible that's pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> I was... like saying, and that's and that's you know and that's if i go to canada uh-huh. and stuff like yeah. that i mean i don't get 50 days in our local season but uh-huh. um, but now, you know if, are you guys uh, freelancing it's... it when you go to canada yeah we just freelance okay, we go yeah, to manitoba uh, and, yeah you know and freelance and how long is your guys's so. uh season there you We're, uh, we have 60 days, you know, do you have a we, don't have to see. we do, we come in for, we come in at Thanksgiving for, um, we come in Thanksgiving for four days then we go out for a week. Then we come back in and we, um, we run to the end of the 60 days. So that's so Which weird how they do that. The I mean, what, what is the reasoning for, you know, having that many splits or just doing a couple of days, then not. And then you go for a certain time period and all this and that. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 what the it's what the hunters wanted. You know, everybody wants to go to the last day of um, to the last possible day. And you know, the federal regulations say that you cannot hunt past January thirty first. Mm-hmm. So you know, in the South, you know, we want to be able to hunt to the as as late to the last day that we can. So when you only get sixty days, you know, if you look at it, then then, um, you know, if we just went straight 60, we wouldn't be able to start on, you know, Thanksgiving. Uh, a lot of hunters want to want to start uh, on Thanksgiving because, you. you know, having time off of work. Right. You know, so then they give us those days. So then they give us a – then, you know, then I guess everybody wanted a week off so that, you know, so that we wouldn't be going out like on the 22nd or 23rd of January. Right. So that we could go as late as we could. Okay. So. That makes a little more sense now. I didn't know if that was mm-hmm. like a state-enforced – thing that you know they came you know and and like yeah i mean and every state's different and you Mm -hmm. know if you look at a map where i'm at in west kentucky i mean you take a 50 60 mile radius from here i mean you know local hunting around here can be you know west kentucky southern illinois southeast missouri northeast arkansas um, northwest tennessee and southwest kentucky like you know our the duck club that i'm a part of i mean we have you know um we have property in three states Oh, okay. Um, you know, and, and never really drive more than an hour and a half. So, yeah, I wish <laughs> I wish we could say that. We uh, sometimes we make a little little uh, treks to go duck hunting, but it's still worth it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm fortunate that um, you know the the where I choose to hunt most of the time. I mean, I'm you know I set my alarm clock for five thirty, and and you know it takes me about thirty minutes to get to the the boat launch. So. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so that yep, yeah, that's about you know thirty to forty minutes is 
most of, of what I got. Actually, we got a couple other places, but you know, they're within in southeast Missouri. We got a rice farm, but I don't. Um, you know, I like to hunt with trees around me. I'm not a big, um, I'm not a big rice field hunter, so I'm not nothing against it. I and I will do it. When I, you know, if 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 that's what's best at the time, but um, I like to hunt in timber. Oh, so so you are hunting timber then, even though it's in Kentucky, because I'm thinking, because I was thinking that you were still hunting timber, but I'm always thinking Arkansas. That's why originally I had yeah. said Arkansas to you. Yeah, no, I say, um, you know, a lot of people don't think is Kentucky is a um, waterfowling state, but if um, everybody looks at the map, you know, the Mississippi River runs right right through the, yeah. you know you know, the border of the state of Kentucky, like it does Arkansas and Tennessee and, and all the other states. So yeah. it's just the thing about the Kentucky is it's, um, you have a small section of Kentucky yep. that is, you know, that is, you know, great for waterfowling. You know, you kind of get east of the Kentucky and the two big lakes, Kentucky and Barkley Lake, you know, it kind of, it kind of shuts down. But, um, so Ryan, um, I had a couple more questions. So like where you're from, obviously we're out here in California. So, we haven't quite been everywhere yet. I wouldn't even say that. Uh, we've been to half the places we want to go to. But so where you're at, um, what's what seems to be your most uh, the you know the birds you have the most is it mallards, whatever whatever yes, it is. Yes, mallards. And then yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. Oh, mallards. Okay. Yeah, mallards, and I'm, I mean we get all the we get all the species, but uh, you know you know but our bread and butter is mallard. And yeah. Teal. Okay, so um, so I guess my next question is like, what's what's your most sought after bird? I mean, you're saying you've been to Canada and you've probably been quite a few different places, but is there any bird that's on your bucket list, so to speak, or you know, a bird that if you happen to happens to come yeah, I mean, spread, I'm, you really I mean, get psyched up about or <laughs> not? You know, honestly, I've killed most all of them. Um, you know, I think I've pretty much killed all the petal ducks. I haven't killed a cinnamon till. Um, I've killed the majority of the divers, but, um, but, you know, I'm a mallard purist, you know, oh, if yeah. I could only, have, we are if too. I could only, have, Amen, you know, if, I could, <laughs> Preach. if I only had, exactly, if I only had two ducks to, you know, if I only had, they said, you know, God said I could only hunt one duck the rest of my life, you know, it's going to be that. Absolutely. Mallard. Yep. We're with so, you. You know, and I, yeah, I love shooting teal too. You know, if, if I had two, it's, it, it's mallard and teal, yeah. but, um, but you know, when we, um, are froze up and stuff. Um, you know, it, for, you know, this part of the area, you know, Arkansas, Illinois, um, Missouri, when it freezes up, you know, the duck hunting stops, you know, so it, it gets super slow. So when it freezes up, you know, um, you know, I'll, you know, I'll take I'll John over here to Kentucky Lake, you know, which are big, big, big lakes. And I've come to find out that I enjoy diver hunting. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, I couldn't do it day in and day out, but, um, you know, there's some phenomenal, it's, you know. It's go, a go different animal. It is. It's, you know, it's, it's so just, enjoyable. It's just different. Though. It is. But I, I never thought I would really enjoy it, but, um, man, I really do. It's And it's, I don't know if it's just because the lakes are so big and it's peaceful and just, um, but, you know, but, as far as, but and I do enjoy doing it, but I'll tell you, as soon as she starts to thaw up, you know, my ass is right there back in the woods. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so does your guys' uh, teal season run the same as your your regular duck season? We have in um, Kentucky and Tennessee, we have a early wood duck and teal season in the month of September. 
Okay. Um, then you know that's our that's our early season and um, Kentucky and Tennessee's are a little bit different. I, I forget the dates on them and honestly, like you know if but normally that time of year we're so dry. You know, we our club we don't have any water or anything like on at that time of year. So you know it's probably been a good ten years since I've even went out in September. Um, you know, and the places that, that, you know, do have water, like the lakes and stuff, you know, there's so many people that are teal hunting and, and wood duck hunting that, um, that and the mosquitoes and the cottonmouth snakes and all that this time of year, you know, that time of year, I'm, you know, to be honest, I'm out. So, right. I'm not down um, for no snakes. I can tell you that much. <laughs> so you guys, are you guys, uh, is your teal season late enough where you're getting like some really nice plumed out? Blue wings? And... No, 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 no. Oh, um, really? Like I say, we can. I mean, we can kill teal during. You know, obviously, we can kill a. Um, you know, teal during a regular season, but when the when the blue wings come through here, it's September, and you know they have no color on whatsoever. I will say, in probably my, I think this will be my twenty seventh year, twenty sixth or twenty seventh year, I've maybe killed um, or seen less than a handful of blue wing kill kill during regular duck season. Okay. Yep. So and I and um I think we killed one this past um this past January, but like I said this past duck season was so warm and all that and um and you know like I said I remember going out and um listening one night at one of our one of our farms and at night and I could hear a bunch of blue wing teal out there and but you know but that's the only time I can remember you know um noticing there was blue wing teal around or, or seeing them killed during duck season. That's funny you're saying you guys is Duck season was so warm. It <laughs> seems to be the exact same over here for us in California. Seemed like I mean, it, it was, was a just... tough. It, it was. Ahead. It was a. It was a brutal duck season. Um, you know, it's, what kills us is you know the you know we you know obviously when you know when we hunt near the, the Mississippi River and stuff you know we we need the we want a little backwater out but but you know heaven forbid I mean the the river was. A, at or above flood stage you know from september on and you know and we got two or three really good pushes of ducks in like october and in november before season but as soon as season come in you know it i mean it warmed up and you know and normally we're you know middle december you know if i had one day the, the duck hunt mine you know if i got the duck hunt one day a year it would always be december 15th you know it just seems like that's just falls right there and you know on a big cold front and you know we never had the first big cold front until almost the end of and end of january mm -hmm. it was the most mild december and january that um, you know anybody can really remember then you know what ducks we did had you know we had millions of acres out all the way throughout the mississippi flyway that was you know underwater i mean so the ducks were so scattered out right so it was just um you know, I can't complain. I say, I mean, we we still had a, a somewhat decent duck season, but it was definitely, you know, for what the winter weather forecast and all that was going to be, we had our hopes set really high, and you know, and we we definitely didn't um, didn't have the season that we wanted. Right. Well, Ryan, I'd like to dive into the decoy world. This is something that. I'm gonna know. I'm gonna be honest with you that we don't know nothing about. We like to just, you know, we like to hear. I don't know how to even ask the question. You know, it's like there's so much out there, and it's it's so many interesting pictures that you have on your Instagram with this. I mean, yeah. can you kind of share with us 
what's going yeah, on? The, um, like, yeah, I mean, vintage decoys are one of the, you know, one of the, you know, are definitely the most sought after and um, prize collect collectibles in the in the waterfowl de um, collecting world. And um, and it's really not just all duck hunters that collect this stuff. You know, like a lot of this old stuff is considered folk art. You know, so okay. you, you know you get a lot of folk art collectors and um, so forth. But um, you know, but good old duck. Uh, you know, the thing about old um, duck decoys is, you know, the, the the number one thing that makes them attractive is you know they have to be in all original paint. Okay. You know, um, you know, you, you know, you might be able to find a a 1930s Charles Perdue decoy out there that um, that was an original paint, you know, might bring thirty or forty thousand dollars. But if it's got three or four coats of hunter repaint on it or something, you know, you're looking at a few hundred bucks. Wow. Um, but you know, as far as you know, vintage decoys go, like, um, you know, there's, I mean, it's not uncommon to see, you know, to see them. You know, there were last January. Um, I'm sorry, not last January, last July, a pair of Kane's Brothers decoys out of Georgetown, South Carolina, sold for over a million dollars. A pair. A pair, yep. Wow. And yep. it's just, um, it's just, I guess, it's just like anything else, the supply and demand is just, that's what drives it is, that price. It's supply right? and dem it's, it is, it's supply and demand, and, you know, and the ones that are the most valuable are the ones that are the most artistic. You know, and artistic doesn't always have to be the paint. You know, well, most of the times it's paint, but um, a lot of times too, it's the lines on the birds. You know, the, the 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 sculpture of it, just the just just art. Right. Um, what are, but, now? What are they making most of the the old old early nineteen hundred decoys out of? Like actually foam, oh, or is it? Wood? No, 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 no. Yeah, they were all you know all, all the wood. old decoys that are. Yeah, any old decoy that is valuable is going to be made out of wood. Is it ball like balsa? wood or what um you know now herders made some out of balsa wood but you know a lot of them would be you know it'd be different kinds of woods you know some of it might be you know back in the days wherever they could find wood it might be old you know telephone poles or huh. you know pine or, or whatever but um but you know it's like some of your your biggest um you know most valuable decoys you know and a lot of them come from the east coast um you know the the areas where the valuable decoys come from or you would be like the illinois river um, you know, there's some spotty areas in Michigan. Oh, I'm sorry, Wisconsin. You know, there's some in Michigan. Um, but you know, like I say, a lot of your East Coast birds, like the Elmer Crowls and, and stuff like, and the and the Ward Brothers from Maryland, and like I say, the Canes Brothers from South Carolina. Um, you know, and you know, and back in another decoy that is very collectible in the waterfowl world is what people don't see is, is shorebird decoys. You know, people used to hunt shorebirds. You know, shorebirds were a delicacy. You know, on the as, as a table fair in the, in the New York market. Well, like like for uh, instance, what kind? What shorebirds are you referring to? Uh, it'd be yellow legs, um, um, peeps. Um, um, drawn up, having a brain fart. Can't think of some of them, but um, you know, like some of the shorebirds. You know that. Um, you know, like I say, and that you you want them all in original paint. You want the bills to be all in one piece. Um, like I say, but you know, you know, it's not uncommon to see that you know one of them sell in between a hundred thousand bucks and three hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. Is that you know, some a good place is that to go? You'll ever, oh, go ahead, because you're probably going to answer the question I was just about to ask. Go ahead. A good place to go look at some of this stuff. If you ever want to look at it, like you know the. Um, 
there's um, in April every year, there's a big sporting collectibles auction by the Guyot and Dieter company um, out of Maryland and Maine. Then, um, then like there's Copley's Fine Arts out of um, out of Massachusetts. You know, they'll, they like they'll have a they have two or three big auctions a year. But um, in July there'll there'll be a um, Guyot and Dieter and a Copley auction for um, vintage decoys. But you can like say you can do a Google search and like say look at the online catalogs and it'll show you what some of the estimates are on these and it'll it'll just boggle your mind. Oh, I bet. Now, could is this something that you could get lucky ever and find you're at a garage sale and man you see this old well, decoys? I mean, I know it's probably few and far between, but that could well. Probably... I'm, well, that's how um, that's how most of these um, started out. Like you know, Joe French was the. There was a guy out of um, St. Louis, Missouri, by the name of Joe French. He was the, um, I guess he was kind of like one of the pioneer decoy collectors. And, you know, he was collecting this stuff when nobody else was collecting it. So like in the 1950s, when um, paper mache decoys and foam decoys and all that came out, you know, he was buying truckloads of them and taking them to these duck clubs. And, tr and you know, he wanted the old wooden decoys that the duck clubs didn't want anymore. So he was trading them, you know, like the newer stuff. You know, these duck clubs didn't know all that stuff was going to be um, you know, valuable <laughs> yeah. and collectible someday. Right. So basically all he was doing was trading, you know, new decoys for old decoys. So, you know, so Joe French, I mean, there's no telling how many, you know, thousands of decoys. You know, there was, um, like I say, in the, a guy on the East Coast, um, you know, he, the, the same thing. His, um, like I say, there was a man by the name of Joel Barber. Then, um, then there was another collector on the um, East Coast by the name of Mackie. Um, that you know did the did the same thing, but like they were kind of the pioneers of collecting. You know, they went out and they got all this stuff when it was worth absolutely nothing. Then, um, then in the 1970s, I think it was like yeah, it was 1974 when um, the Mackey collector on the East Coast passed away. Um, you know, one of his shorebird decoys, you know, um, went for yeah, it was 1974. It went for five figures, it was like ten thousand five hundred dollars or something, and that was kind of like the boom. Um, in decoy collecting when it all, you know, then, you know, up to the eighties and nineties and even today, I mean, it's just, it just continues to grow. Wow. I mean, it just blow your mind what some of these old birds are worth, but as far as, you know, you know, it's obviously a lot tougher to find that stuff in this day and time. Yeah. Um, just with, you with know, with social media yeah. and quick yeah, exactly. stop you know, stuff by now. Yeah. All, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you know, back then, you know, that's where, what how a lot of the guys found this stuff and but you know as for as far as where i'm at i, I kind of hit on earlier is you know i'm in a rich area for duck calls vintage duck calls this area there was no historical decoy maker so to find something like that you know decoy wise down here is um you know you know it's it's pretty tough but you know but you know if you look hard enough you can you can still find old duck calls mm. You no, know, you pretty got much some... got to go up into the yeah, pretty much got to go up into the areas where they were. So gotcha. So I've I've noticed several p uh, pictures on your Instagram about uh, Charles and Edna. Well, I don't know. You say Purdue? Yeah, Purdue. Purdue. Yep, they were yeah, they, yep. they're pretty. Yep. Were they pretty infamous for making that stuff? She was getting yes. them and stuff like that. You know, Charlie and Edna. They were um, Charles Purdue. I mean, he's one of the the, the most collectible decoy and duck call makers. Um, out there you know he was he died 1960 um yeah he died 1963 um but you know the most desirable decoys that he made was his wife edna made them 
um, or I'm, I'm sorry, didn't make them. She painted them and she had a stroke and sometime in the late thirties or so, and, you know, got to where she couldn't paint anymore. But, um, you know, then Charlie took over and Charlie was a good painter, but, um, you know, he was, didn't have the hand that Edna did. So, you know, the Purdue decoys that, you know, that bring the most money are the ones that, um, that Edna painted, even, you know, the old duck and the carved duck calls that are painted, you know, even the ones that she's got, the ones she had her hands on are the ones that are most sought after and valuable. So let me ask you from you and seeing the history of all this and knowing the history, how important was decoys? Was it more of something fun for them or were they really making it to really draw the ducks in? Because no, they were, they were making them to draw the ducks in. And, I'm, now and as they far worked as then like, though, right? I mean, they work. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the 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 interesting thing is, if you go out on the east coast of like the the, the um, just say the eastern shore of North Carolina, the Outer Banks, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of decoy carvers out there, and they were hunting diver decoys and all that. So they were making just decoys. You know, they were making hundreds of decoys. You know, they didn't go all fancy on the painting. You know that some of the, um, you know. But, you know, like the Illinois River birds, you know, they're very, um, you know, the feather detail and on them is, is extraordinary. And that's what makes them so popular and um, and so valuable. And also, too, what makes the Illinois River birds so, you know, that's kind of like where Illinois, Illinois is kind of like the leader in, um, in duck hunting, you know, one of the earliest states. And there was so many historical duck clubs up and down the Illinois River Valley, and they all use these old... Um, you know these old hand paint, hand hand painted and hand carved decoys, and um, you know, and the people that frequented these duck clubs and owned these duck clubs memberships were all the the wealthy businessmen out of out of Chicago. So that's um, you know that's where the that's 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 why they're so popular and so valuable, and um, it's just it's all about it's all about the paint and and the form, but um, but you know, then I say that in the North Carolina decoys, you know, some of you know um, a lot of them just. You know they don't have the feather detail and all that, but you know they're still just as collectible to the um, to the to the locals. You know there's people that just collect. Um, you know obviously the people that are out there from that area. You know they they eat up the old um, decoys from their area. You know they don't care whether they had feather detail or not. You know. Hey Ryan, I saw some stuff on your Instagram. I'm just kind of scrolling. You have uh, some pictures of people hunting ducks for the market and this and that, and uh, so. Do you, do you have any information on that, like when there started be started to be a market for ducks and when it kind of ended and what how that all worked? Yeah, I mean, I mean, market hunting was was prevalent, um, you know, in the late 1800s all the way through the um, you know the late 20s. I forget the you know if it was before noon, I might be able to tell you the exact time, but um, getting late, I forget the exact date that uh, market hunting was outlawed. But, um, but yeah, market hunting was, I mean, that was prevalent, you know, um, you know, all throughout the late 1800s and the early 1900s, especially up on the, in the Illinois River Valley and the Chesapeake Bay and, and, you know, even on California, out on the San Francisco Bay and, um, other areas, but like on the, um, Chesapeake Bay, you know, that's, you know, that's what's known for the canvasbacks out there in, um, out there in Maryland. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, you know, they would shoot them and, um. You know, they would you know, kill as many as they could. You know, they would just right. water swat them. And, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, they were shipping them by a rail car to New York to the restaurants. Mm -hmm. 
That would be know, something, wouldn't canvas, it? Canvasback was a delicacy, you know. Right. So, um, they, you know, they would bring, you know, on the market, they would bring seven to eight dollars a duck. I, you know, I'm. I wonder how that would be to go in a restaurant and and have that on the menu. You know, how they prepared it <laughs> and how good that. it would and be, I've, or yeah. or not, or. Yeah, um, I, I've always. And, and the funny part you say that is like. I've done a lot of online searching for like old menus from, um, you know, high end restaurants in like Philadelphia and New York and all that. And I've never been able to find one hmm. that has, you know, duck on the menu. Mm-hmm. You know, what's, um, uh, you know, it's kind of crazy. Um, me and my family went on a, a little trip, uh, last year up to the Northern California towards the coast. And on, on this little breakfast place, we actually found um, um, duck bacon on the menu. As a, you could either get regular bacon or duck bacon. So obviously, being a duck hunter, I was like, "Man, I gotta try this. I've never, <laughs> never seen or even heard of of first of all duck bacon." And I'm a big bacon advocate, <laughs> but yeah. uh, let alone at, at a restaurant. So I got some, and it was surprisingly good. And and it was pretty cool because. Um, you know, it's, it's all, it's it's, well, yeah, right. It's, but it's all local. (laughs) Seriously. It's, it's all local. Um, you know, I don't know if it's family of the people that run that restaurant or, or how they did it, but, um, yeah, it was really cool. Was it actually wild harvested? Yes. Oh, it was. It It wasn't like pen raised. No, no, no. Uh Uh-uh. These were not the, I, cause those were all those questions I asked. I'm like, so it would have to be a, it would have to be pen raised. You know, you can't, um, you can't sell or do anything with federal protected or federal, federal birds, you know, so you Mm. can't sell any, you can't sell the meat out of a wild bird. Mm. Which is what stopped when you talk about the market stuff. When did, what year did that stop? I, it would have been, I think it was like 1928 or something. I oh, should wow, know that long right time off the ago. top of my head. But yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, it's been close to 100 years. Wow. You know. And, and is it just years. because, like you said, it's a federal. Was it considered a federal bird back then? Like, or was it, it was. just wild? I mean, no, it didn't. Okay, which but, let me, let's roll into this question because this is one, me and Travis, which I wish Travis was here. I should have gave him a call because he might actually usually he's doing overtime but he's the one that got me into duck hunting he's 40 i don't know seven or something like that probably one of my best friends and uh he's really he would have loved to been in on this because he knows a lot about that past history not i don't think probably near near Mm -hmm. what you do but we have always talked about the limits like how did that work because i've heard there was a he's told me that he he's heard there used to be a point system uh, you know, this point, yeah, right, I, I mean, mean, like, do you know, like, details on that? Yeah, um, like, you know, I mean, duck limits were established in, um, you know, in the 1930s, you know, uh, um, you know, and it was, you know, they were different by states, you know, and it seems like there was probably always kind of duck limits to an extent, but, you know, they were never in, like I said, back, you know, back then they were never enforced. And, um, but, you know, all the, then all the market hunting stuff, you know. When it got abolished, you know, that's when the limits really started. But, but yeah, th- there was a point system that, um, you know, uh, it was, you know, uh, it all depends what state you were in that, um, you know, when it went out. Like, I think around here it was, um, you know, it ended around 91. So I was, you know, never a part of the, the, the point system. But, you know, just say you got 100 points and um, 
Now, when you, you say know, that, is that for the season or for the day? No, that was per day. Okay. You know, and, and ducks had, um, you know, and it, it's weird how it went. Just say, um, you know, like a mallard hen was worth 100 points. A canvas back was worth 100 points. So if you went out there and you oh, shot wow. a mallard hen right off the bat, you were done. You had your 100 points. Wow. But, you know, just say you had shovelers, which were probably worth 10 points, and you shot nine of them, you know, you know, there's 90 points, but you could still finish it off with a mallard hen. You know, but oh, if you really? shot the mallard hen first, you know, you had to be done. Boy, that seems which, confusing you know, almost. It, it it was like say you know I mean I was um, like say I'm I'm 40 so um, you know when I got started when I was you know 13 to 15 you know like um, you know that was that was after the point system so I never got to hunt all you know all that so I don't know you know and I think different years you know pintails might have been worth 100 points. Um, I know at one time canvas backs were, but I know Ballard hens were worth a hundred points. So wow, so that um, I'm not I mean, sure why, what that's Ballard not that long ago were. though. Like no, no, no. I thought I mean I a, thought the point system stopped back in the fifties or something like that. No, no, no. Like say it went all the way up into the early nineties. Wow, Late that's 80s, crazy. Early nineties, like in but, in every state, even I mean for the most part. Yeah, but it's but it's not like the point system started in like the forties or anything. You know, it might have like started in like 85 or something like that which i mean i just kind of feel that i don't know how long the point system was in but like i say it was it's not something that had been in for um century you know for for decades gotcha gotcha you know but you know like you know as far as limits go i mean that all changes that could all change every year i mean since you know i think one of my first years that i hunted you know that we had a a 30-day three duck date um 30 day three duck a day um, season you know so uh, as far as limits go i mean that's all set you know that's all set each, you know individually each year by each state so hmm. and i've always been kind of jealous of y'all on the west coast um, <laughs> just for the timelines you know, and the limits oh it is it 108 days seven hours <laughs> i lost count i don't know <laughs> no, just yeah it's, yeah it's 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 seven mallards uh five drakes two hens or seven drakes whatever but two hands yeah. max yeah but man i heard about uh the east coast i cannot believe what they're doing to those guys on that yeah that, that atlantic uh, flyway man that is that's rough oh yeah i'm not real sure what's going on with that i i need i mean i i mean i know they've dropped them down to one can of the goose um and they my friend there. i have a friend that's out there he's in virginia and he said two mallards is that is that right no, two mallards had, yeah that's yeah, that's crazy. That's, but, I mean, I mean, I, and I have known that the you know that the the Atlantic um, the Atlantic Coast mallard population, you know, Atlantic Flyway mallard population has been, you know, in decline for um, for several years. Which you know, I mean, um, you know, it, which is interesting to me because you know the 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 mallard the the Mississippi and the Central and the um, you know especially the Mississippi and the and the Central Flyway mallard populations are at an all time high. You know, like I think they said, you know, this year will still it'll still be one of the best five years that have you know happened in in many years. Hmm. Um, which I do find interesting too that you know I've learned that like you know as, as strong as the Pacific my um, mallard population might be that you know the the they don't really make it to the state of California anymore. Um, you know, I, I've heard yeah, that, you know we like can said, vouch for the, that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the you know California still kills is. You know, is a top five duck killing state, but you know, a lot of them are not, you know, mallards, and a lot of the mallards that are killed are, you know, grown locally. I didn't, 
you know, that, that's, that was interesting to, to, to hear about. Yeah. Which, like you said, that I think just a lot of times it's kind of Washington from what I'm hearing, the more I'm talking to people, they smash mallards, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's just, they don't leave. And like, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what the situation is out there, so I don't even want to speculate, but like, you know, I mean, I was born and raised in Southern Illinois where Canada goose hunting was, was king, you know, and the last time the Canada geese came down was December of um, the year 2000. Um, you know, there was 250,000 of them in the Crab Orchard Refuge where I lived. And, and you know, there was probably another, you know, uh, you know, three to 400,000 of the other refuges in Southern Illinois. And, you know, now they just, they, you know, they don't make it south of Chicago. You know, when Chicago was, um, you know, six hours north of, you know, where I was at in southern Illinois. You know, it's just, you know, weather's changed, farming practices has changed, and, um, you know, with all the retention ponds up there and the no-till farming, you know, the, the Canada geese just don't come to southern Illinois anymore. I mean, it's it's depressing, you know, all the um, Canada goose clubs are just dried up or they've, um, you know, or they've levied them up and started making duck hunt clubs out of them. What do you think's caused that, Ryan? It just like I say, no-till farming, um, retention ponds. Um, you know, used to where they, you know, after you know farming was over, you know, the farmers all tilled up their fields, you know, turned over all the food, you know, there was nothing for them to get. You know, yeah. they don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, then, um, then you know the, the urban goose population has just exploded in like parks you know, and greater, ponds and yes, in the yeah. greater Chicago land area, and it's just, it's just a combination of like between that and the no-till farming and um, you know just all the the we they call them hot tubs you know like all the power plants oh yeah you know that um, you know water you know never freezes and you know it's just it was just a recipe for disaster you know the geese just don't make it down anymore mm-hmm. which you know I mean I hate that I mean I I, I do enjoy you know um, hunting Canada geese but First and foremost, man. I mean, even when I did live in Southern Illinois, I was a I was a duck hunter first. I didn't right. do something until, you know, duck season would go out like the first part of January, and I, I didn't goose hunt until duck season went out because duck season or goose season always went to the end of January. So, but I mean, I'll say I mean they're still you know like, you know, I was um, born and raised in the same area that Tim Grounds come from, and I'm fortunate to be good friends with Tim, and you know I mean they still got their goose clubs out there and and. You know, and it's like, you know, if you know, they all still hope and pray that they'll come down and, you know, and they like I say, and there's still a couple clubs around there. They might kill a few geese here and there, but, but nothing like what it was in the, you know, the, the nineties and the early 2000. Hmm. I got to ask just you. One of those deals, like, man, it stopped. Like I remember, you know, cause I went to college in Northern Illinois and, I was coming home for Christmas break on December 15th and, you know, and there was like getting like two and a half foot of snow, you know, and by the time I got home, I mean, the next couple of days, I mean, the goose hunting was just what, you know, you, you just hear the old timers talk about. Then I, I remember directly one year, like December 15th, 2001, you know, we're standing out at the goose pit and it's 65 degrees, you know, and I, they haven't come since then, hmm. you know, I mean, it happened that abruptly. Wow. So that's crazy. Yeah. Now I just to pull a few things off and I know this podcast is going to run a little bit longer, but that's okay. If it's okay to you, yeah, cause this fine. is awesome yeah, information fine. that I know everybody I'm loving and everybody else will love. 
but just a few like um explanations of some of the things that I've seen on your Instagram that I've never even heard of before and some I have but one of the ones I mentioned to you before was body booting can you tell the audience about that that is just an interesting yeah I mean that's a neat technique um you know the the picture that I put on Instagram like you know that was two uh, old timers that were actually doing it in the rice fields of Arkansas which um you know I've always known as that that practice takes you know place on the the Susquehanna Flats and um you know the Chesapeake Bay um, I know like the, the Job's decoy family, they're, they're, they're big into it, but they started doing the body booting after, um, you know, after um, sink boxes were outlawed. Um, you so know, was, was that mainly look, for divers? No, no. I mean, they're doing it for Canada geese, mallards, everything, you know. Wow. So basically all you're doing is you're you're standing in the water in, in wetsuits, you know, not waders, you know, like full-blown wetsuits, like. And, you know, and, you know, there might be a, like a, a post you stick in the ground that's got like a big old shadow decoy on the front of it and a box. You know, you set your, your your shells and your gun in and you hide behind that decoy and you're standing out of the water in the midst of, you know, 150 to 200 decoys. Oh, and are okay. they, cr- are never, they crouched down to like their shoulders in water? Like, it, 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 it all depends. I, I say, you know, I don't know if that's all affected by tide. I've never you know it's it's something i've got on my um, bucket list but i've never done it but I oh they know, still do it today levels. oh yeah they still do it today really yeah absolutely. wow that they would be doing that. yeah they started doing that after sink boxes were um, outlawed you know sink okay. boxes were outlawed well, in like the, why though why were the, why were those outlawed well were they that know, effective people, they were but they also the the um you know they your your body set below the water line Right. You know, so a lot of people says, well, what's the difference between a sink box and a layout boat? Well, a layout boat, you're sitting above the water. Yeah. You know, the old sink boxes, I mean, you, um, you know, you know, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was too effective. You know, that's, <laughs> but that's but here's the thing, though. What's you the got difference the pip... if there's a limit, though? Well, you got the pip lines. So, I mean, you're I, I, the water. those are above I, water, though. I, you know, I agree. You know, I mean, I, you know, to, to me, I don't, I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't know what the reasoning was behind it, but because um, if you like you say, I mean, you know, I've hunted and you know, I've hunted in pits before where you know the the water line is just right up to the just the brink of coming into the pit, you know, and mm-hmm. and but bottom line, it was too effective, and absolutely the government yeah, can't I mean, have something that works that good. I don't understand that lie. though when you have a limit. So if 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 you have a limit, well, back then, I say the back back, you know, this was back pre-limit. Times, oh you know. right yeah. true yeah, yeah. true yeah. so i mean why can't they bring you know let's bring get a that petition back. bring it back <laughs> let's bring it back yeah but you know there is two areas you know you can still um in canada um you can still um sink boxes are still legal in like nova scotia and parts of quebec so wow yeah that would be see these are things that i guess just makes my bucket list bigger i never even knew like you said about this stuff i I'm really interested in that that body booting though because it it sounds if you see the picture and guys if you follow him on his Instagram you got to check these pictures out they're awesome I mean if you love anything about duck hunting you will love this Instagram I promise you that and it's like it's like looking these pictures I'm like it looks like it would not work looks ridiculous it kind of looks ridiculous but then on the same token. I know I've hunted long enough, and we've had a lot of conversations with me, Thomas, Travis, 
to where some of the most obvious things would work the best. We just don't do them because that's just not the yeah, the way I everybody mean, else like, does it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the body boot. And you, I mean, you would think that would it would be a you're in the you open. Know, you, you, yeah, I mean, you stick out like a boner in sweatpants. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, whereas um, you know, you think it would be effective. You think you it'd be effective with divers and stuff, but like you know, they, you know, they're hunting Canada's and mallards, but it's crazy. But you know, but they're also in you know most of the time they're up you know above their waist and stuff. So I mean, they're still pretty low profile. It makes sense though, like. Yeah. Like I said, I've I've I got my own concepts and ideas for this coming season for some things, but like mm-hmm. I just see you see how the birds react to things. I mean, we pay attention, you know, they basically once season starts, we're we're a lot in the grasslands hunting too, and they the birds begin to avoid, believe it or not, they begin to avoid the tulies because that's where yeah. the that's where the boom boom sticks are coming out. And, you know, the loud noises and ducks are falling. Uncle Cousin Henry's dying, you know, like they're they're understanding that. And they're burning around those things, you know. They know. The same way, you know, they get blind shy, you know. Around here they get blind shy in in January. You know, they just, you know, ducks are a lot smarter than people give them credit for. Oh, man, yeah. I've had a a friend one time trying to say. They're survivalists. Yeah. I've had a friend one time trying to say uh, ducks are dumb and that coyotes are smart. I'm like. Hold on, man. I mean, these these birds can see well, or they can hear well. I mean, like you said, they're a survivalist. I mean, they are yeah. they learn quick. Like yeah. I can't. I mean, this is my personal opinion. I actually heard somebody recently on a podcast say that they will not use spinning wing decoys, and I'm not. I mean, I think a certain places it, they they're killer, especially like maybe the first day they're allowed. Because in California, we cannot use them until December first, or like the no, first, really? I didn't yeah, know the first hunt day in December, and they'll work mm-hmm. incredible, you know, right off the bat. But after that, game over, done. Like they they ain't yeah. working because everybody in the grandma has two or three sitting out, you know. That's yeah, and that's exactly. just speaking for California. I'm not trying to speak for anywhere else. Yeah, and like I said, I'm not a, um, you know, my you know my friends will tell you that. You know that I I despise spinning wing decoys. I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and lie and say that I don't you know hunt with them. You know, cause you know I you know I hunt in a club with, with you know groups of friends and you know and and you know if and it's not it's not just my hunt. You know they you know if they want to use them, but as, I'll tell you right. if I'm going by myself, I don't have them. Right. And, but also too like but that's you know there's two reasons for that, which I do think they put too much um, too much. I, I think we're putting too much pressure on the birds, yeah. you know, and, and that stuff doesn't help. But on the other side of the fact is I'm very, I'm a traditionalist. I, you know, I don't, I don't like things to be complicated. I don't like, you know, having to worry about stepping on wings in the bottom of the boat or, you know, wondering if the battery's got charge, you know, I mean, it shit just wears me out. I just, I just want to duck on, <laughs> right. You know, and just not have to worry about gadgets. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but you know, but you know, but like I say, I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and say that I don't use them. I mean, because I'll tell, I can, you know, I'll be the first to tell yeah. you on a on a push day, on a on a sunny push day, and when it's when it's cold and windy, and you know, um, yeah, I mean, they'll work. But um, you know, and, and the other, you know, times that you know, I don't really say a lot about them because um, they they definitely work on teal. Yeah, you know, teal. You know, sure. a group oh, of teal. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yes, you know, absolutely. So it, you know, it's just, and a lot of times that's more just about positioning the group of teal, you know, for, for you know, for where you are more yep. than, 
more than anything. So, right. you know, I'm, I'm, you know, if, if I'll tell you, if they were out all tomorrow, I mean, I'd, I'd be happy, but I'm, I don't lose sleep <laughs> that, um, you know, I don't, I'm not too worried about it. So, right. Yeah. Now an- another thing, and we'll maybe go from here and, and kind of start wrapping this up, but a punt gun, I, that that's an insane deal right there. Yeah, and I mean, is, I know that's, I mean, is, is that not an incredible piece? And unbelievable. I, you know, out of, you know, out of my personal collection, like that's the one thing that I desire to have is I want a vintage punt gun. <laughs> I mean, you how know, tall are those things? How long are those? Oh, things? I mean, they could be 10 foot, you know, or longer or better, but like, you know, and they would shove, you know, they would shove whatever they could find in these things, you know, oh, really? it'd be nails, broken glass, rocks, just whatever. I mean, cause you, you they're, they're just, you're, you're just looking at stuff to scatter, you know, and they're scatter guns, you know, I mean, they would creep up on groups of, you know, thousands of canvas backs at night, you know, and just, and just, um, you know, pull it back on these punk guns and just let it eat, you know, I mean, they might kill two <laughs> or 300 at a time, you know, oh, my word. Yeah, I mean, they would have to have guns to, you know, finish off the cripples, but like, um, but I mean, but, you know, these were made to kill mass amounts of ducks. You know, like I said, this was, you know, this was not for sport. This was for the market, wow. you know, and just very few of them survived because, you know, um, you know, there was a, you know, Dr. Walsh on the, um, he was one of the earliest historians on the East Coast, which there's a book out there that I, I suggest everybody buy, and it's called The Outlaw Gunner. You know, okay. it's about um, it's about it's about market hunting on the East Coast, and like I say, Dr. Walsh had some of the the um, earliest punk guns and stuff in his collection, and unfortunately, he donated a lot of them to museums and stuff like that. Then the museums never did anything with them, never displayed them. Really? Um, so why like why said, would they not few... display them? Kind of kind of yeah. liberal 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 mindset. Yeah, thing? I don't know. I I don't know. It's just, it just you know, it's it's taking place across museums across the country. I mean, it's. You know, you'll, you know, there's been decoys that have been donated to some of the, the nicest museums in the country, you know, years ago that, that you know, they never were displayed, and you know, now they people can't get their hands on. You know, some of the nicest decoys that, that are best known examples out there, you know, are um, locked up in museums, and like I said, they're not even out out on the showroom. So, you know, it's very hard to get. Um, you know, um, get people to put stuff in museums these yeah. days. You know? I wonder what kind of pattern those punk guns threw, man. <laughs> I just, mean, if they're I killing mean, 200 just, at a time, you know what I mean? I mean, they're just, you know, I mean, they're just trying to get these things in as tight as they can. You know, they might sit out there and wait for two hours, you know, in, in the boats, you know, just sit and creep and just sit and wait until they can get, until they think they've got their best shot, you know, before they send it. I mean, they're wiping out a whole raft of birds, and I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, which is just detrimental to the populations. Right. Well, that's probably why now there ain't no canvas backs left. You know, like the. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it, it it definitely didn't hurt. I mean, I can think of. You know, I can think of at least a couple of years in the last ten years just here that we you know canvas backs haven't even been in season. So. Oh really? They won't even allow any to be shot. Yeah, like I say, I mean, I think we're up to. I think we're up to two now. It's, I mean, it's, you know, we've been able to, you know, I, I maybe somewhere around 2009, 2010. Um, heck, there was even a year in the last 10 years around here that, you know, pintails weren't in season. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so, we're down to one this year. Which, yes, which kind of surprises me because, you know, like my friends in California that hunt, you know, they tell me they think the, the pintail population is high as it's ever been. But it like, is. Um, we you know, see I mean, more just, pintails than mallards by far. I mean, way more, like not even close. 
Yeah, which is crazy. I mean, like, I mean, as far as hunting goes, you know, like those years that, um, you know, we hunted a lot of rice farms back, you know, that year that the pintail population was, you know, I think like we saw more of them then than we ever did, you know, and it's canvasbacks too, you know, we would see a lot of canvasbacks in the rice fields, hmm. um, you know, when, when they weren't in season, so. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, it went from two and then for a long time, I don't even know what it was several, several years back, but it went from two, then it went to one two years ago. Well, then everybody was gr- throwing a big fit, you know, like, why in the world are you guys making it one? I mean, there is so many, I mean, we're just infested with them, you know. Then they went, mm-hmm. last year, they went back to two, and then they went to one again this year. And everybody, and I've been saying this and preaching this, I'm like, it'll never leave one again. In my opinion, I could totally be wrong, and I hope I am. But I think for them to go from one to two back to one, when we know there's a plethora yeah. of birds. I think it's just yeah. the government, and it's just going to stay that way. I don't think it will ever go above one anymore, honestly. But I, I hope I'm wrong. But I'll say, you know, um, you know, which, you know, I hear nothing but good things about the California Waterfowl Association. So I mean, that's one thing, y'all. I think have in your favor out there is you have a, you have, you know, outside of Ducks Unlimited, I mean, you have, you know, the, the that organization that um, seems to work really hard for you know for the yeah. waterfowl in the state. They of California, do. So. They do. Yeah. Well, one more qu- or two more questions, and then we'll wrap this up. Um, this has been awesome. I'm definitely gonna have to come back on here again, Ryan. But uh, yeah, Babe, Ru- Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. That's pretty cool to see them. Those guys are all in the duck hunt. <laughs> exactly. the, big, the great Bambino. Yeah, yeah, and like I say, I mean, you see that stuff, and like, you know, even the presidents and all that. But yeah, you, know, you think about it, waterfowling has always been a a, a, a sport that the um, you know the upper echelon you know, people took, you know, the, that participated in, it's always been a high dollar sport. You know, it's always been, you know, the, um, you know, like all the old duck clubs back then, you know, were, were, you know, even still today, you know, a lot of them are just by affluent businessmen, affluent people, um, you know, that, and that's who did all the duck hunting back then. And, um, you know, like I said, a lot of celebrities used to duck hunt. Um, yeah, like I said, you got your presidents, you got ball players. um, others uh, i forget that actor's name from california that um um yeah he was in um was, clark gable yeah clark gable yeah yeah clark gable yeah he was a huge duck hunter um walt disney duck hunted um you know it was just it, it was just a gentleman's sport i mean still is to an extent you know I, I don't think back then you really had the um you know it wasn't as popular back then like it is with you know kids today or you know, younger guys today but um but you know, it just always attracted the the, the affluent people of the world. So that's awesome. Now we I, I I prepped you and warned you about the craziest duck hunting story since we haven't been warning people in advance to give them time <laughs> to find one. Have you have you had time to think of what your craziest uh, duck hunting story is, or craziest thing that's ever happened to you in the blind, or anything like that? Uh, oh man, I, there's been so many over the years, but I'll, <laughs> I'll say like one of the the. I'll say that one of the funniest things that I've ever had happen. This was probably 1998. I was um, going to school at Western Illinois University, and um, you know, up in and that and that's up on the Illinois River, you know, towards the Illinois River in the central to northern Illinois, about five hours north of where I was, southern Illinois, where I was born and raised. And you know, up there, there's so many um, public hunting opportunities. It's 
you know, a lot of it's draw stuff in the mornings. And um, but anyhow, there was a area that I kind of scoped out. You know, it was the Sanginois, um, the Sanginois, you know, walk-in area. So like my buddy Doug come, you know, from home come up opening morning to hunt, and um, you know, we stood in line for like two hours, or maybe even longer. I don't even remember to to get our spot. You know, to to you know, you got to check in and draw for a spot or whatever. So you know, we went out there and. Um, I don't know, even still, this is probably 3 o'clock in the morning when we got out there, you know, so we're just out there sitting on a tree, you know, we, I didn't even really know where to go out there, and I mean, it was one of those deals, I knew it was probably just going to be like a wood duck shoot anyways, and um, so, you know, me and my buddy Doug, we're just out there talking, and, and, and you know, this area is just, I mean, it's just overrun by duck hunters, you know, I mean, the reason we don't have a 108-day season in the Mississippi flyaway is, I mean, there's so many more duck hunters out here than there is on the West Coast. But anyways, we see a flashlight coming, you know, and like we see two flash, we see like a flashlight coming, and then like lower than that, we see a, like another headlamp coming, and like you know, we're sitting there and like, you know, and we we hear this guy, he's like, "Come on, Mike, come on, Mike," you know. Then it just, and you could tell he was, you know, and you know, and and you know, and this went on for probably I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, and like we're sitting there. Then I remember like, you know we were just kind of dying and laughing and, <laughs> and, um, you know, then he, the guy broke out and excuse my language, but the guy's like, Mike, you're getting me wet. And I looked at my buddy, <laughs> Doug, I thought, you know what? Did you ever talk to me like that? And I'll knock your head off. Come to find out the guy's name's the dog. The guy had a dog and his name was Mike. <laughs> 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 so like, you know, so like, you know, we're sitting here thinking, you know, this guy's, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, this guy is like dog cussing his, his best friend and hunting, but <laughs> well, you know, technically said, he was, buddy, he, I guess so. But I told my buddy Doug, I said, you know, you talk to me like that, buddy. Well, you know, we're going to be down here in the train. <laughs> but come to find, I mean, I think we, we've, we, we've laughed about that for a bit. And the funny part was like, you know, I didn't realize how close they were and come shooting time. I bet you that Joker wasn't 75, 80 yards. Cause I shot a wood duck out there and Mike took off and got it. And, you know, and here we are trying to hunt. <laughs> takes off and get the guy's like, the guy's like Mike, and I'm just like, we're, we're just like, oh my gosh, what this is the biggest uh, pony show I've ever been a part of. But it would probably have what to a be. way to name your dog a human. But name. I mean, I I would I was just we were just floored and laughing. I mean, he was dog cussing this. He was, I mean, what do I just? And I said, I thought he was talking to his buddy. You know, oh man. Human. That is. I thought, man, funny. I would clean your clock. You talk to me like that. <laughs> oh man, that is hilarious. I you never hear people call basically call their dogs a human name, but that actually no, like, no, that I, actually makes it more funny. That to do it almost makes me want to do that. But it was, but but we thought it was a human because there right, was two right. headlamps coming. He had a headlamp trapped around this dog's oh, head. <laughs> right. I mean, right. I'm telling you, it was the biggest public hunting story. You know, one of just. Typical public hunting stories that you could ever hear. So. That is hilarious. Yeah, totally. We can totally relate to that. But um, that's so funny, man. That's awesome. <laughs> well, but, we better. I guess we better wrap this up and let you hit the sack and get to bed here. But we yeah. really, really appreciate you, Ryan, yeah. coming on here. Yeah, man. Anytime. And um, like I said, I forgot to mention, like if um, you know, if anybody listening to this is in the Stuttgart area, like my um collection of vintage duck calls are on display at rich and tone in stuttgart till um till february they've been there since february and they'll be there until february so oh wow they'll have been there a year so if anybody's down in that area stop in and um 
you know, like say John Stevens that owns Rich and Todd is a very close friend of mine. And after it burnt, you know, we, um, you know, you know, him and I talked a lot about, you know, and he wanted to put in like a craft bar area and all that. And, um, you know, John's a huge collector of vintage duck calls and, and all that. So, you know, we want a place where, you know, this is something nobody else has done, but the whole point in doing all of it is it's called, you know, the flying duck, um, tap room, but it's, it's, it's dedicated to the history of waterfowling. So, you know, our first year's exhibit is, um, vintage historical, um, duck calls from the state of Illinois. So my entire Illinois duck call collections there till February. So if anybody's in there, you stop by. And yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. We got, um, s- several subscribers that are live out that area. So <clears throat> that'd be pretty cool. So Anyways, guys, don't forget to follow him, uh, Ryan Graves, on Instagram, R-K-E Graves. You'll love this stuff. If you love duck hunting, you're going to love the history of it in the past. And also, he's got stuff of the present and some of his adventures now even. So thanks again, Ryan, for being with us. Guys, go check him out on there. And go if you live around the Stuttgart area, like you said, go check it out. Go check out his vintage calls and I know you guys will enjoy it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this podcast. I'm Titus, my co-host, Thomas. We're saying good night, and I hope you guys have a good one. Until next time, we'll see you guys later.